0: I'm ready to This <laughs> could be a great intro.
1: Hi, I'm Akshay.
0: Hi, this is Saurabh. And you are listening to the Founder Thesis Podcast. We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country.
1: And we want to learn how to build a unicorn.
2: Hi, my name is Nimesh, and I am the CEO and co-founder of WorkX.
0: Few engineers get to build things related to their core subjects once they pass out. This might have been the case for Nimesh Sharma also. But his passion to build something meaningful made him quit the job offered to him on campus to start up his own venture with his batchmate. And that too in a challenging sector like drones manufacturing. And that too way back in 2007. Over the next nine years, they built a world-class drones company that beat much larger global rivals to win defense and government contracts, eventually getting acquired by the Tata Group in 2015. In his current venture, WorkEx, Nimish is no less ambitious, as he is tackling the problem of lack of trust in the blue-collar and entry-level employment space by building a full-stack solution to help employers to hire, manage and engage an A-team of workers through a single platform. Listen on as Nimish tells Akshay that about building WorkEx. So,
1: Nimish, tell me about your dad. Like, where is your family from, basically? I'm born and brought
2: up uh, in Kota Rajasthan. Kota Rajasthan... Uh, what I was popularly known for competitive exam preparations, certainly JE. my father was an engineer, a civil engineer. Uh, he was the guy who was a government servant working for the irrigation department. He was one of those guys who worked on Indra Gandhi Canal. And what I loved and learned was that he used to love engineering drawings and design. And I developed interest to fly paper planes there from him. okay so it uh, comes from a very humble background my mother is a Sanskrit and Hindi teacher and uh, I have an elder brother who is also an engineer from IT Kanpur
1: so you grew up in a pretty academic environment like academics must have been important yeah in
2: typical middle classes basically if you study well you have to perform well and that's how your uh, career is going to be defined through that so, was a decent, good boy kind of uh, a person, uh, sincere
1: one, but always curious. And uh, you joined classes at Kota for uh, the entrance exam? The so entrance exam. In, uh, being in Kota, is, uh,
2: there's a culture, but uh, it was long back. Uh, Kota was not popularly known for coaching. It was just starting then. And uh, whether it was various other competitive exams before J.E., before uh, like national talent search examination, et cetera, everything was coming uh, on the way and it's basically you need to do that and always question, would you qualify or not? So I have lived that uh, journey was uh, kind of a journey where I did not like the format of education then. And always curiosity was the driving force to just come out educated more rather than uh, accumulating information.
1: Okay, so what were those uh, years at IIT Kanpur like for you? This would have been first time living away from home in a hostile environment. So moving from Kota to Kanpur, again, my elder
2: brother did his uh, chemical engineering from there. So it was a kind of a rat race. following that if you go to uh, this college, uh, then there is a prestige associated with this. But there was another angle. I come from a humble family. The fees at the college was really low. So that was one of the motivations. Landing at IIT, uh, first year was something that everyone is coming with a decent background academically. So that loss of identity of what you have accomplished before was really humbling as well as gratifying also. That there is no more comparison, there is no more things, but always competition is now going to be lived more than what has been lived so far. So that was journey there. And after one year, I was under a crisis that what am I doing here? Because my life since till now has been something following, 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 uh, just keeping up the matrices of uh, the maths and performance, etc. So I landed in aerospace engineering, and there is a connection that I used to love uh, making paper planes, hundreds of them, and I used to fly from uh, various heights. And I used to love the flight, and uh, that's how there is a natural connection there. And uh, I uh, had a huge impact because of the Kargil War.
0: I don't know why
2: and how, but uh, it's basically since the childhood, uh, doordarshan's impact or the family's impact, uh, mother being an academician, that I love my nation like crazy. Really. And I wanted to contribute, and landed in aerospace, and then I realized in first year that there is nothing in, is being taught where I could actually come out as an engineer. So okay. there is nothing hands-on. So I joined the uh, aeromodeling club and in the first year itself, I was made the coordinator because there was nobody doing that job. And the seniors who were were in final year were the coordinators and they handed over the keys. And I found that it's a dirty place. Let me just start from cleaning it up. And then I thought that I don't know anything about how planes fly. So I learned it on my own. A professor gave me an opportunity to go to Bangalore and learn flying.
1: Wow. Like Pilot lessons, YouTube.
2: Yes. Uh, so I went through that, came back, revived the entire club. But again, that sentiment of what am I learning and how? What am I going to come out? Whether am I going to come out as an engineer or not? Because everyone was talking about the career ahead. Living in now was not happening at all, and that was my crisis. And the second thing that uh, am I be able to contribute as an engineer to a nation or to even justify my own self being and what am I doing? So I found a really good senior who was a real techie in his third year. And I found one professor, uh, Professor Ghosh, who was into missiles. And he worked with Professor Kalam. He worked on India's missiles, etc. And he was the only guy from the industry. So he took lessons of mine, of design, etc. In, sec- in my second year itself, which used to be a final year thing, and he used to coach me, and he had a huge impact, and I consider uh, him my guru. And I spent next three years developing drones in IIT, yeah. and I'm talking 2003 to 2006, and that was some amazing journey I had. That it's not just course anymore. I will take on my own courses, and I, there is a room out there that something can be done. IIT Kanpur has a really good flight lab. So what Professor Ghosh did was he gave me his flight lab uh, keys and beta is R&D cell. And in that R&D cell, I organized the entire thing and I started building stuff. And we did not have components to the material which is required for it to be built. I spent around six months there creating that workshop to creating the first-air model uh, with the lessons given by the professor. I flew it around 20, 30 times and every time it crashed. Once it crashes, it's like uh, you are having a small heart attack. You build for 10, 20, 30 hours, then you fly, then you crash. So that was, uh, those were the initial days where I learned uh, perseverance in a true way. That, uh, and what uh, my professor taught me, that uh, love the tools, uh, have respect for the technicians more than the engineers. Because technicians actually help build and they really build. So that knowledge of how things are built, that came from there. And that grit of each time it breaks, you have to just build it all over again. And one fine evening, you, uh, it took off. And it took off so beautifully. It was tears and eyes of the entire group, as well as my professor. And still that, if I remember that day, there are good battles. And my professor was really strict. Really strict, as in he was a young professor. And then, and uh, he used to just say that you can't lose stuff, and you need to understand. So, root cause analysis, I understood from from there. And then uh, he then started sharing that what you just did uh, in past 15 years in this institute, which is considered to be the number one institute, nothing of this sort has happened before. He never revealed that to me before that. And then my wingmates used to just come around, see what exactly is going on, what is your pursuit, and they started joining that. And we formed a team. And from there on, uh, in a senior year year dissertation, that was the best uh, project award. So my mother was invited by the director and I got the gold medal there. And then the entire faculty of aerospace department said that this is something that you have worked on 10 such projects combined together. And something coming out of that technical project is something really remarkable and it should not be left there. So,
1: what was the final project? The so
2: final project was to develop a medium multitude, medium endurance, tactical unmanned aerial vehicle.
1: What does that mean? There are a lot of jargons. Basically, you can do reconnaissance and surveillance. With that. Okay, so uh, a drone which can have a camera on it. Which can be remotely navigated and it will beam back the images or what? Uh, Mobile. Uh,
2: So, nothing was available there. So, right from communication, and we are talking for uh, as an engineering project, it was not a hobby, uh, kind of a demonstration thing. We developed a 15 kg bird with the capacity of taking off uh, with a 4 kg payload. And you can load anything and everything. Uh, electro-optical cameras are one of those. And you can use it for civilian purposes, military purposes, etc. So that becoming a vehicle of a sort which can be configured for various things. So I'm talking about going really it, uh, as an engineer on specking out things. So I learned my product design through aircraft design. and those uh, And in those days, there was nothing available on the internet also that you can copy. There was no open source project. So everything right. was from first fundamental level of physics. Hmm. Hmm. So hmm. that was quite a journey. And then uh, I thought that what is next? I wanted to take it to a level where uh, it can be handed over to people and various departments for uh, exploration. And then came a time. We were a team of around five, six guys, uh, aerospace engineers, electrical, computer science. And we were collectively working on it, and then few had their masters to be done, and uh, there was a juncture that what next? We are not able to take it up, and I did not sit for any placement company interviews etc. Then the team pushed me that this may not be the right time, and with a very low heart, I just had to pick up a job and move there. And after three months, I got a call that this is not working as we created such a brilliant thing, and we should take it forward. Got a call from so one of my previous co-founders. So this company that we incorporated, my first venture was Aurora Integrated
1: Systems. Your batchmates who were working with you, he was one of them.
2: Yes, batchmates became wingmates and then uh, roommates. Okay. Then uh, they called me and they said that we should do it. So I was into job uh, for over three months only, and I was working as a yield management analyst for an airlines to maximize their revenue. And I was so feeling bad that my entire three years I dedicatedly do that, and I loved it every bit. And I did my internship also in the similar domain of understanding the entire data fusion to writing filters controls. So I'm a controls guy uh, also, con- uh, control systems system engineering guy. So these all things were learned during college in a very practical scenario. So I did my internship in France where I worked on Airbus project, okay. structural health monitoring, et cetera. So I don't yeah. want to go there. It becomes really techie. And wrote a typically paper also on that. So the entire uh, skill set got developed. And that happened, which takes around 10 years. It happened in just three years. Right. With that confidence. And then uh, as they called me, I quit my job. I came back to India in a week's time. Okay. Your, your job was in uh, Gulf? Uh, UA, uh, Abu Dhabi, specifically. I was working for Etihad Airways. Hmm. So okay. uh, if you are a control systems guy, you know the entire, popularly known as AI and ML these days. So that is taught there uh, itself, if you are into those things. So hence, that helped me at Etihad, though it was just a very short stint. And I came back, and then uh, we started that. Uh, it took us around five to six months in the incubation center of IT
1: Kanpur. That we configured be another. Who is we here? Like, how many of you were there? So, we were seven. Uh, okay. Two from uh, aerospace, including me, two
2: from electrical, uh, two from computer science, and one from mechanical.
1: And all of you were like uh, who had completed your B.Tech? Like, you all left your jobs and came back to do this or, or your master's yes. course? So, another friend,
2: our co founder, he quit his job in Tata Motor. The guys had offers, they declined their offers. And the teammate from Mechanical, he quit his MBA and did it. Because the cause was really good. Again, all shared that bit of that we should contribute and uh, contribute and uh, just uh, prove ourselves as a true engineers also. To ourselves as well as to the nation and let us add to that. Because during Kargil War, it was like that we did not have the road. So that was a huge impact, and that just connected us together. And then
1: magic happened. Uh, IIT Kanpur uh, like funded you, like, a, a, or they just gave space and like, what was it like?
2: So uh, they gave us the space to part ourselves. We had flight labs, professor Ghosh supported us on that front, but there was no money. Then uh, real magic happened. That uh, Ram, who was at IIM Lucknow, uh, he was being interviewed for Tata Administrative Services. And uh, Styagi, who was the heading Tata Industries, there with Mr. Chalker being the director. And then, while the interview, Ramon said that I'm founding this company together with my friend, and though I can take up this internship, but I'm not going to be joining, I will be starting. So, the conversation then moved towards that Tata group into aerospace and envisaging drones. And these kids, right after college, are having. So much of enthusiasm and just got recognized for the development on unmanned aerial vehicle during from ID Council. So that was a huge impact story for them. And our source then quickly checked with Mr. Tata. And we had to just write business plan, etc. This is something happening, the wheel turning on it. So then uh, what I gathered from our source that Mr. Tata's words were that if we don't, who will? And we should. And that's how in early 2007, we got funded with a million dollars from Tata Wow. So that was the initial journey of taking off from the concept to taking, making it happen and living the journey of fundraise through that. But it was all organic, never thought of being an entrepreneur at all. Hmm. And just uh, finding the purpose and being real and thorough with
1: that. How much uh, stake did Tata take for that 1 million? Oh,
2: it was back then there was no VC money, etc.
1: Uh, it was
2: uh, around 40%. So it was a uh, high stake take. So then Ministry of Science and Technology also it a soft loan of a million dollars. So we were able to get the capital there in place, create product. And then we were uh, deployed. So, if I have to say, long story short, our systems are deployed in northern command, southern command, and Southern command of our country.
3: Wow. Well,
2: and I'm talking 2000 to 2006. At that hmm. point of time, there was no VC money, there was no hmm. vision, and this being hmm. a B2G business, this hmm. two hmm. government. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. no if I if somebody has to think of about this today, it's not the space that one would.
1: How long did it take you to launch your first product? Like, you know, 2007, you got funded. Then from 7 till your product launch, how long was that journey? So that was also beautiful. It was a term that a small portion of the funding is going to be given
2: first as an investment. And in four months, you have to fly the entire bird autonomous. Okay. So we took four months day in, day out. Uh, so that became a kind of a culture that sleepless nights, etc. Can't make a mistake. If you make a mistake, you have to crash. You crash again. Hmm. Then you uh, gather the debris, put it together, and then next day go back again. So in four months, the development of the product took place. But a product to ship to the market took around a an year
1: and a half. Because you have to do it in mass production. So you have to have like a different designing one versus producing hundreds. Correct. So we talk of UX being so important these days. Our required design requirement was that a 10th
2: pass Dipahi can actually launch that drone on his or her own. Hmm. And understand uh, that directly taking the inputs from uh, touchpad-based uh, okay. tablet. And we are talking 2007. Uh, at that point of time, going by creating something on a UX front to be so simple that anybody can fly. And Then targeting, so vision processing also came in. So it became really complex that vehicle dynamics is one part, another part is uh, locking onto the target, time to target, coming back, the entire battery management. So it was uh, really, really uh, tech intensive. And the beauty was that uh, we had to reinvent the entire structural part because every time it lands in an unfair prepared ground, you can't just keep on repairing this stuff. So it has to be modular. It has to undergo and take the impacts and deliver what
1: is needed. Is the tracking there? Uh, during this journey, was it funding itself through revenue or did you raise more funds after that? So we raised in
2: 2007 hmm. and then we raised in 2012. So we were uh, participating in large uh, value trials which had a huge fund. What does that mean, large value trial? We are talking about hundreds of crores, thousands of crores worth of procurement. Okay. And then came a situation that how we can actually bid for this, being a small company. And then Tata Advanced Systems in 2012 took a majority stake uh, Tata Industries had 42%. They took it uh, up to 72, 74%. Uh, so the mandate became clear that, uh, to us also that group needs control and we also found it prudent because the business cycle is capital intensive. And once you win a tender, you have to service this for 10 to 15 years. So group, Tata group is a magnanimous group and the values match in a sense that the most ethical and very relevant to society in a, in a way that of impact. So we found good partners in our investors on the value system side. And we took a call that in 2000, in 2012, they took a majority. In 2015, we exited. And by then, our systems were deployed there and way larger value pra- uh, orders were coming in. So that was a take. Uh, a-
1: and you were essentially like the CEO till 2015.
2: Yeah, I was the managing director. I started it, but it was Raman who was the CEO. Because I wanted to just focus myself on the development and the operations bit and making it happen.
1: Okay. And Raman was doing the commercial, the the business? Yes. Commercial and investor relations. So that was then
2: till 2015.
1: So in 2015, why did you leave? I mean, you could have continued as a managing director of a Tata Group company. So that fancy I did not have. As I shared before, uh, I was about to say
2: that I had no inkling towards a corporate culture or uh, becoming a businessman or being uh, at a senior position. So then came in the next phase of my life. I I have been living this for over a decade now. And what is next?
0: If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show. So,
1: fifteen. then what did you decide to do next? You know, you got an exit from your venture, and then what next? So then I was in a
2: different phase Hmm. that what I thought of as an 18, 20-year-old, now after being at around 28, 30, what exactly now is the phase? So I thought that I have not developed a business which is scalable and of high impact at the larger one. So Hmm. I got the opportunity at that point of time from Delivery, which was into e-commerce logistics then in 2015. So, I was given a job to cross-utilize various services and functions, bring down the cost and come up with new business verticals. And after four months of studying the entire network, proposed a new network with modes of transport being different from air moving to ground, as in from moving in shipments in airlines to
1: moving shipments on trucks, and optimize that. So, by trucking, that means like that full truckload transportation, that business. Less than truckload, full track load,
2: part fast truckload, uh, optimizing. So we deployed a uh, capacitated time-based uh, optimization approach in the uh, system itself. On top of the ERP of delivery, we created transport management system. And with that transport management system, the entire visibility to turn down service level impact, that thing happened. And it was great of Sahil to give me that kind of opportunity and uh, standing by the idea And taking the company fourfold from there on. Wow. And this I was able to achieve in just two years. And it was around eight months of development and then around six to eight months of deployment. There I realized the entire scale impact and creating the entire revenue stream from. So there was no funding uh, per se. We were a team of small, around eight to 10 guys, and we were doing analytics, we were doing tech, we were doing product we were uh, deploying on the uh, process part ourselves so we were building operating and transferring it to the larger team okay and okay. so a handful of teams impacting more than uh, a way larger team so that was my journey there that, why did
1: you decide to move on
2: so it started for me happened i never planned for a startup so i am uh, in a typical startup entrepreneurship terms, I'm not uh, following that for, uh, pursuit of uh, that. I want to uh, be going in a certain format of doing things this way. First thing is why to start up? Is fundamentally that the problem uh, is very close to your heart. Right. So, what triggered in delivery was something that I experienced in my early life. So I am from Kota, Rajasthan, and Kota used to be an industrial hub. I have seen companies shutting down and thousands of people uh, getting out of jobs, and that uh, state uh, made me feel really bad, I and mean, had a very huge impact on me. That uh, I have seen the transformation that if education did not have, had not happened to Kota, then there were thousands of families. Uh, J.K. shutdown, uh, I.L. shutdown. Uh, uh, so so many companies shut down, and there were thousands of jobless people in their mid-thirties, mid-40s, and I uh, they had kids uh, in my class. As in I was studying with them, and I was just seeing it all around. So education industry actually helped Kota Copa, but at delivery, what happened to me? I used to uh, be there at hubs, at delivery centers. I found uh, the company is growing rapidly. Then the guy here has no trust because we had around 40, 50-odd staffing partners and who were supposed to hire and manage the workforce.
1: This is like largely the blue-collar workforce, like warehouse and logistics.
2: Yes. So at that point of time, delivery had around 15,000 workforce uh, and currently around 35,000. So while working, so while I was deploying my system and working closely, and uh, at that point of time, moving, uh, whether it was a warehouse or the last mile delivery, there there used to be a lot of iteration. And these vendors were supposed to just bridge the gap. So as per uh, uh, International Labour Organization, around 90% of our enterprise workforce do not have a written contract.
3: Yeah, right.
2: So this is where it is spinning off from. This is a problem that government is dealing with. Uh, and has been dealing it for really long. That whether it's a jobs problem, whether it's a recognition problem. So for us, it was just three things functionally that I was able to decipher. The sourcing, hiring, and managing uh, platform is required, and it is now possible after 2017. Before 2017, it was not possible because of internet penetration, internet penetration, smartphone adoption. What motivated me that there is a huge gap uh, of trust? Trust can be bridged through transparency. Transparency can, uh, and scale can come through tech. And as a job seeker moves uh, to a particular job, and from there they move to another job. So, this transition and trust to come in, it requires a platform format. And hence, uh, WorkEx stands as an online staffing platform. So, that there is an entire journey of a person which is dragged all through and this is what is very essential that the entire uh, process of walking through mutually is transparent and which brings in integrity and dignity for both the sides and which opens up doors for uh through this recognition of financial inclusion of a very large workforce of our country and nation so i believe that uh, innovation, uh is achieved through problem solving. And one day uh, innovation happens if you work on a problem. But adoption happens during crisis.
1: So what was version one? Like version one of your product that you, you know, tell me about what you launched. Our go-to market. So
2: uh, we thought that we are going to be building a platform which can does, uh, which can impart sourcing at scale digitally, internet-based. Uh, can... Uh, enable screening hiring uh, of, of the workforce then managing the workforce their entire uh, payouts to attendance etc so we uh, started from a front of uh, in february 2017 we worked till april and created a management solution that you can manage your vendors you can manage your workforce we got a push
1: back in early 2017
2: that uh, the vendors
1: did not want this transparency to be there i want to understand this better that version 1 which you launched uh, what was it like was it a like a ats the applicant tracking system in which vendors can upload profiles which the company can see and then can do interview and then release an offer letter w- was that what you did like for staffing vendors to share profiles with employers so not uh, we did not start from the hiring bit we started from the management
2: bit that they can mark their attendance, they can have their adhats there, they can uh, get their payouts from it. It's like a payroll payroll platform. Yeah, payroll part, but the visibility with the principal employer that you are working for pay, uh, PayDM, you're working for Tata Chemicals, or you're working for a large uh, company enterprise, and you get the visibility of your workforce, and you get uh, the uh, management of your vendor that they are passing on the benefits to the uh, workforce or not. And then there was a pushback from the vendors. So uh, this pulled back that vendor did not want this transparency to be there and principal employer wanted it. So our clients wanted it, but the adoption took a pushback from there. So we went back to the design desk uh, and we thought that we should break the problem down of sourcing and hiring and management separately. Because here the supply is the king. As in, if we can source right, and if we can source in large volume, and if we can filter those. So we then worked on sourcing and hiring
1: first. Because if you can do sourcing and hiring, then you don't need vendors. You don't need vendors. Step in the door is there. Uh, right. And uh, you have a leverage.
2: So we worked with a matrix of time to hire should be very least and cost of hiring should be least. So with that, we uh, started working on it. And we started uh, with the first launch of 15% match rate. So this is not a search-based market. This is a discovery-based market. So here, a person doesn't know how to search for jobs. Like if you go to various job boards, if there is a job for Android developer, sales guy can also make an application.
3: Huh, right. It will yeah. not stop you. So huh. not
2: a resume database kind of a format, but a format where the matching is taken care of. What is the pricing for For self-service? like So uh, in 200 bucks, you can
1: hire uh, at least one staff. You can hire more also. So, uh, like, you know, uh, in uh, 2019 is when, like, the revenue journey started. Uh, uh, What was that revenue journey like for you?
2: So, we uh, started with uh, around uh, clocking. We started with around 10 lakhs a month uh, from September of 2019, taking it up to around uh, 70 lakhs in uh, November, then around 85, 90 lakhs in December. So, this is how our journey, and uh, we got our first uh, interest on fundraise. So, we started in late December. We closed uh, it in the first two weeks of January, uh, interest for investment.
1: How much uh, did you raise there?
2: So, in series A, we raised uh, $4 million. It was led by Joe Hirao, uh, and he runs a platform called Big Uh ZigXL is a live media platform into real estate, jobs, uh, automobiles, etc. It's a listed entity in Japan. So Joe Sam has been in this space in uh, Japan and he runs a billion dollars staffing business also. And, uh,
3: okay,
1: okay, okay.
2: And what he uh, liked was that you have automated the entire hiring process. This is something that uh, we should take it to Japan. So it is a global product, and you should scale first. And then uh, uh, Pravega uh, participated in that round. Uh, and then Michael and Susan Dell Foundation, like the entire uh, how the hiring in this respect, uh in this uh, space is scrapped by WorkEx. So we raised hmm. the four okay. million round by April uh, of two thousand
1: nineteen. Okay. okay, before COVID. Uh, so. Uh, this uh, managing the workforce platform, uh, who is responsible for payroll? Like the they are on the company's payroll or they are on your payroll? So we then behave like a pass-through vehicle
2: uh, that you have to pay this workforce and we are your pass-through vehicle for it on distribution of the payouts. So in various for- formats, whether it's on a task-basis format that you have to pay the workers on say for sale per delivery basis or per sale, uh, per item sale done or or it is the time effort that you have come you just come for uh, one shift or you come uh, for one and a half shift so on a shift basis so these all formats are taken care of and we are your path-through vehicles as a solution uh, to manage your workforce to manage their entire
1: compliance also for the mm-hmm. same these are all then gig workers. They're not like in an employment contract with a fixed monthly salary and a PF and all that. You're not into that space. So that's what, uh, so contract staffing is one.
2: Independent contractor management is one. Managing the task-based uh, worker is a gig-based worker. So we are in all three of them. And, uh, okay, you are an and if okay. you have a permanent staff, you just want to go for hire. And if you want to ma- manage your uh, workforce to work at solutions, so that you get the benefit. So based on that, the pricing is there. Say for take if it is hundred, then it is around eighty. Then uh, the next one is sixty, and the uh, lowest one is then twenty. So given this, you get the feel of it, and you always then be on the uh, workex platform. And the common denominator uh, is the workforce through the platform
1: that you have assurance of. Hmm. Okay. And uh, what do you charge uh, for each of these formats? Like, is it a percentage of salary or is it a fixed rupee value? So, a mix of both. uh,
2: On a task-based level, we charge uh, per task basis. Uh, On a uh, time-based format, we charge on a percentage. Like percentage or fixed? On a task-based, like for gig workers, in that uh, case, we have a kind of a rate format that if the person is getting this much and the value is here. Then there is going to be a rate chart for it. In case of time-based uh, one, we have a. Duration. What what are the rates like? So in case broad. in case of time-based, uh, it is around five percent to around twelve uh, to fifteen percent there, depending on the length of the contract. If it's for longer, then the percentage is lower, and uh, it's a recurring revenue. If it's uh, for a shorter contra- uh, duration, then we charge more, and hence uh, the worker also gets paid more. In a gig format, if a gig worker is earning around 200 bucks, uh, then we are charging around uh,
3: 80 to 100 bucks. Uh, this gig, this is the task list? Like 80 yeah. to yeah. per, per task? Yeah.
2: Like a delivery boy okay. is doing a delivery, okay. uh, then that person gets around 30 bucks, 40 bucks
1: if the charge. So,
2: they are on that on a per unit basis, the charging.
1: then. So, so, what do you charge there uh, uh, on the per unit basis per task? So, uh, there's a margin for hire, as in, like, uh, if the worker is getting paid
2: around 200 bucks for a task, then we charge around uh, 8,200 bucks. Okay.
1: okay. Uh, and this is paid by the employer. So, so, so we the employer paid, will end up paying we get 300. Paid, we paid them. Okay, okay, okay. So, the employer is still paying 200. But out of that 280, you keep and 120 goes? No, no. Uh, like the employer is paying 300, 200 is going to the
2: worker.
1: 100 is okay. what we actually pay. Okay. Got it. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Okay. So, uh, about like 30% or like, okay. Got it. Okay. And for the uh, uh, contractual uh, workers, like where they are like on fixed monthly uh, kind of a Salary? What do you charge there? Uh, somewhere between five uh, percent to around twelve, thirteen percent. But this is uh, again depending on the duration.
2: Exactly. So shorter the duration, the higher the charges. Longer the duration, the recurring revenue. So if you look at the cat versus LTV, so LTV uh, though the uh, the gross margin is lower, but the LTV is very high. It's the stickery recurring revenue. In case of uh, gigs, etc., the volumes are seasonal. But again,
1: they yield more gross margin. Hmm. Hmm.
3: hmm.
1: hmm. Okay. Okay. Got it. So so now tell me about COVID. W- what happened during COVID? So during COVID we lost around sixty percent of our workforce
3: last year. Hmm. Hmm.
2: Okay. Because uncertainty being there and clients uh, having hmm. a kind of a complete complete lockdown, well yeah. it's going to open up
1: people going exactly. back to the villages. So it took us uh, around uh, uh, in three
2: months' time, we got reduced to around 40% of where we were, From 3 million ARR hmm, to hmm. again dropping it down. And then it took us around two
1: months. 3 million ARR, this is like and a monthly uh The 3 million dollars annual run rate we were there. We, okay, annual run rate.
2: Okay. So we were there uh, at that point around 2.5 crores somewhere there. And then uh, one, yeah, And then it got reduced uh, to around 40% of this. And then it took us once the lockdown opened up. So it was then uh, in June, we uh, got back to around 80% of where we were. Because the entire thing is digital. So we were able to get the workforce back again. And uh, by uh, August, again, we were there at where we were to around 95% because there was a lot of uh, re uh, ordering in the market in various sectors it happened that logistics uh, increased and then uh, that sort of the things decreased so there was uh, entirely a new uh, format but what was for us was basically that now everyone wants to go digital so they realized so what i was sharing before that uh, innovation happens and adoption happens during crisis increases drastically yeah
3: uh, uh, so, right, right. So like mm-hmm.
2: uh, during world war ii it happened uh, for various inventions which were there in late 1800s and similarly uh here like many of the startups uh, got tailwinds because of COVID. so it was a blessing in disguise yes. that way so migration happened people lost jobs and uh companies I had to just come back to the regular business order and they had to hire back again. So hence, uh, WorkEx's uh, entire system on the hiring front, uh, that magic happened then. So the confidence increased drastically, both for the clients as well as uh, for the workforce. And then uh, we uh, productized this entire management which was sitting alone and brought it there on the marketplace of our hiring, and we combine. So we uh, alone in the market offer on the marketplace side, both hiring hiring, and the management of the workforce in a single unified platform. Because job seeker is a state, staff is a state, people uh, move from job to job, and their duration to their record getting created, to businesses trusting them, and finding and joining this broken ecosystem this then uh, is the approach from here on that we have completed our stack of hiring and management of workforce and being agnostic of the format of engagement and through identity uh, getting created. So last year, we supported during COVID and how uh, the trust uh, plays so crucial role. We uh, gave insurance benefits cetera, uh, to our workforce, which was managed by us. Okay. And then that is also a revenue contributor. But uh, let me share that story that a truck di- driver met an accident, And the guy was taken to a really decent hospital and the coverage happened. And that experience and the humbling experience of that insurance was not that costly. It was just 350 bucks. But the experience during those times that uh, the person did not have money did not have the job then and the treatment and him coming out and going back to uh, working. So these experiences uh, we have a feedback loop in our platform where uh, people who get hired share their videos. A guy uh, having who developed during COVID addiction uh, alcoholism and sharing that I got my integrity back through getting this job and getting paid and my recognition and my self-confidence is back again. So this is what that keeps us running and motivated that we are in a space and tech has uh, such a huge scale to bring in uh, the trust which is needed. And this is uh, our nation's identity, that being a consumer economy and a large uh, portion of population, which contributes directly to a double uh, digit D- GDP. If that comes uh, and uh, on a platform and is recognized, then this is uh, uh, this is uh, something of the largest value. I don't want to put a number to it on the valuation front to uh, anything. the the, the impact uh, and unlocking of the economy is. Uh, of the highest order. We are the human uh, resource capital of the world.
3: Hmm. Right, right.
2: So,
1: uh, like, uh, um, the job seeker will have a single app for both searching for jobs and also for uh, managing his employment or are these different apps? So, once you are managed, you don't get an option to actually look out for jobs. Okay. So, So that's... uh, But... uh, it is human tendency, na. I mean, you would want to search. for. Then what do they do? Do they like create another account to look for a job or what? Like? So
2: uh, on the IP level or you are having dual SIM, etc. You try it, uh, Workit doesn't allow you. If you are managed uh, through a Workit's platform, you can always quit and search. So this is, uh, you can go, uh, so in job search market, you can be there or you can uh, go through referral, etc. But creation of identity requires this uh, to for the trust to come in. Maybe eventually we can uh, give that option. But again, uh, on a trust front, trust to be built, and it has to be done honestly and thoroughly. Uh, staff uh, getting managed, uh being managed, uh, is not given an option to look for job on work. Okay, so the app is the same. It's no single. single thing,
1: stack but app. they don't see this. Okay, they don't see the search job uh, interface. Okay,
3: okay, okay. So phone number is the
1: identifier. uh, Okay, phone number is the identifier. Okay, and uh, like uh, when somebody is searching for a job at that stage, do they have to like upload an Aadhaar or some uh, identity proof or that happens once they get employed? So once uh, a person is uh, shortlisted and offered, from
2: there, uh, the documentation mm-hmm. journey starts. That you share your Aadhaar, your bank okay. details. We take that. We have mm-hmm. background verification mm-hmm. APIs with us. We
1: onboard the person mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. new records and maintain them mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm.
3: person. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. 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 How do you do background verification? Like uh, just confirming that this Aadhaar is genuine? or Yes, what? we have integrated the Aadhaar API background verification on the address front. Uh, so that is... Uh, we have integrated in our
3: app. Okay, 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 got it. Okay,
1: and uh, for an employer, uh, what is the journey for them? Like they also have a mobile app. I, I, probably they would have a desktop both app also, right? Because so uh, on a huh. quick front level,
2: that uh, whether you are a large company or a small company, uh, the workforce, the portion of workforce, um, large or small, there is a hierarchy there. So you manage them. So you need a phone then. If you have to manage your team,
1: you have a web interface also. So, uh, you manage in what sense? Like to see how many people yes, are present today? Of how their okay. performance is going. So, what
2: I was trying to communicate was that trust is built through performance. So, that engagement loop that you asked me about, that was the part that the recognition. So, uh, if I'm managing a floor of around 20 guys, then uh, I know their details right there in my app but I need a larger uh, uh, interface once I have to take actions further beyond. So both web and app, uh, quick action space, you require an app to be there to have that visibility. If you see a person has not appeared and you want that person, you want to communicate uh, with that person uh, pretty quickly. So uh, so you can send a message. You can send a message. You can directly call from there. Okay. So this, uh, the mobile app on the business side gives the command and control. Uh, and then the execution and orchestration that shift rotation to managing the payouts and that, uh, taking actions on
1: having a collective view of about analytics that is to the web. Hmm. Okay. And uh, what about things like somebody applying for a leave and all that yes. also is on your yes. Like So people who are on... So that is also there. So. Uh,
2: b- why we have amalgamated so many things into simple actions. If, if these simple actions are taken, majority of the things uh, are addressed that you need not have to end at the uh, uh, work at the end of the month. Everything is distributed throughout uh, the process and with various players. Otherwise, the reconciliation process to taking an action and creating a collated view is not at all possible. And then either you over hire or you under hire the relationship uh, with the staff and staff relationship with business then goes for a toss. And so mm-hmm. it has been okay. distributed activity okay. throughout the month or throughout the business cycle, and you know uh, that uh, the management accuracy increases drastically. What
1: are the goals that you set for yourself?
2: We gun for. Uh, Workplace to be known as the brand of trust for businesses and the workforce simultaneously. That this is a medium of fairness. This is a medium of growth and recognition to. Uh, Service
3: at
0: a So that was Nimish Sharma telling Akshaidat about how he built WorkEx. To know more or to use their services, log on to workex.jobs This episode of Founder Thesis Podcast is brought to you by Longhaul Ventures. Longhaul Ventures is the long haul partner for founders and startups that are building for the long haul. More about them is at www.longhaulventures.com.